0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 150, a milestone today. Today's big Bible question, how should Christians handle false teachers? So hello, friends. Happy Wednesday to you. Today, we are talking about false teachers and how or how not to engage them. Our Bible readings include Numbers 36, Psalms 80, Isaiah 28 and the whole entire book of Second John, which is actually just 13 verses and makes up our focus chapter of the day. Now, if you're an adult, you've probably had this experience. The doorbell rings, you go to the door, and there are two nicely dressed people at the door who would like to talk to you about Jesus. It would be great if these people were actually sharing truth from the Bible, but a lot of the time, the people who are doing door-to-door religious talks these days sadly enough, are not actually accurately teaching from the Bible. They're false teachers. Some have added scripture to the Bible, uh, have added their own scripture on top of the Bible. Some have twisted the words of the Bible, and uh, others have just uh, abandoned it entirely, but kept some of the names and concepts. How should Christians respond to these false teachers? Should we engage them in a heavy debate? Should we drop water balloons on their head? Should we invite them in and make a steak and uh salad for them? Or should we call the church police? Shout out to Monty Python. Well, before we decide, let's actually go read the letter or the epistle of Second John and see what the Bible says. Second John verse 1. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, who I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, Because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth in keeping with a command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it, does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. So, I actually think that's pretty clear. This seems, in Second John, to be a prohibition to Christians to not welcome, engage, or even greet those that are involved in the spreading of false teaching, because welcoming and greeting such people only serves to share in their evil works, says John. Now, by this... I think John means that most false teachers are looking for dialogue and debate. And when you welcome them or greet them, and I'm especially thinking of false teachers going door to door, they are better able to proclaim their teachings. Now, I note here that the King James Version of the Bible forbids Christians from, quote, bidding him godspeed. So, if you are a false teacher that is listening to this podcast, please stop listening in the last 10 seconds. Because I usually close this podcast by bidding people Godspeed, and I don't want to bid you Godspeed. More seriously, at this point, some of you are imagining John to be quite intolerant, closed-minded, and unkind in this instruction to not welcome or even greet false teachers. I find Spurgeon's thoughts on that quite challenging and powerful, And do keep in mind that this was spoken by Spurgeon in the 1800s, so quite a long way ago. This is what Spurgeon says. Like all men of true, powerful, and loving nature, yes, like the Lamb himself, John, the writer of this epistle, is capable of vehement and burning anger. This characteristic shows itself very mistakenly indeed, and so as to need rebuke in his proposal to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritan village that would not receive Jesus. It shows itself also so as not to need rebuke very largely throughout his writings. Nowhere else, save from the lips of incarnate mercy, do we find such awful words launched against sin. All the more terrible that they, the words of John, are so very calm and so evidently proceed from a tender and loving heart. Because John speaks so much of love He has frequently been pictured as one of those shrinking and yielding natures, deficient in nerve and stamina, unfit for the battle strife, that are left at home to comfort the women and children, whereas in reality, though John was gentle as a child, he carries in his chest the beginning of all strength and heroism, and the volume and force of his being are as remarkable as its quality. He is not in the least bit sentimental, Nowhere does he exhibit trace or faint of that false liberality which bids truth and lie shake hands and be friends, or judicially binds them over to keep the peace. For less of that philosophic breath which places Jesus Christ, Zoroaster, Sakyamuni, Mohammed, and Joseph Smith in the same pantheon, he is full. John is full of the grand. Intolerance of love. I'm going to read that again because it's a profound sentence written in the 1800s. He, John, the writer of this epistle, is full of the grand intolerance of love, incapable of compromise or truth, truce with falsehood, however mighty or loftily throned. If a man come and bring not the doctrine of Christ, Whosoever biddeth him God speaker is a partaker of his evil deeds. And he who aids and abets a thief cannot be an honest man. And as he who aids and abets a thief cannot be an honest man, so he who encourages a false teacher is a sharer in his crime. So says Spurgeon. Now I think in thinking through this passage and its implications. Morris Womack, who uh, writes uh, the College Press commentary on this passage, he does a really good job of explaining things to us, and he gives us some good underlying reasons why the Bible would tell us to avoid engaging with false teachers. The if at the beginning of verse 10 begins a conditional sentence and means in essence that it is likely that the recipients of John's letter will indeed encounter false teachers. I. Howard Marshall comments, we should not give any kind of practical encouragement to these false teachers. We have heard that some cults practice scare tactics in warning there would be converts to ignore any other teaching as from the devil. That would be one way for false teachers to protect their catch, so to speak. John warns Christians to identify the deceivers immediately by their speech if what they teach is not in line with what John has described as the teaching of Christ or the teaching about Christ they are to be avoided entirely Romans 12:13 which calls us to hospitality is not to be applied to false teachers and deceivers Christians are under no obligation to practice hospitality to them do not take him into your house or welcome him clearly The prohibitions against taking a false teacher into your house or welcoming him clearly protects family devotion to one another and to Christ. Now Ross cautions about overreacting and becoming too judgmental. We should be absolutely certain that men are as far away from Christian truth as John's heretics were before we consider meeting out to them such treatment as John here recommends. We would all do well to apply 1 John 4, 1-6 in testing these spirits of such alleged teachers in order to protect ourselves and the fellowship of the church. Continuing on to verse 11, anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. If the readers had not learned the lesson by now, John adds to the warning by explaining that to be hospitable to deceivers is the same thing as being a deceiver. They would have fellowship in wickedness. Alexander Campbell uses the phrase here of avoiding being in listening distance or hearing distance of these false teachers. And Ross again comments that inviting deceivers into your home or into fellowship with you would increase their opportunities for working mischief. Paul likewise warns, I urge you brothers to keep away from them. If we don't invite false teachers into our homes or churches, etc., we will not come within the listening distance to be led astray. So how do we deal with false teachers? Well, it sounds like we avoid them. We don't greet them. We don't bid them Godspeed. We don't welcome them into house or home. Uh, We also don't attack them or engage them or debate with them or argue them argue with them. Basically, we don't do anything to help them along the lines of their mission. Numbers chapter 36 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. The family heads from the clan of the descendants of Gilead, the son of Machir, son of Manasseh, who were from the clans of the sons of Joseph, approached and addressed Moses and the leaders who were heads of the Israelite families. They said, the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the Israelites." My Lord was further commanded by the Lord to give our brother Zelophehad's inheritance to his daughters. If they marry any of the men from the other Israelite tribes, their inheritance will be taken away from our father's inheritance and added to that of the tribe into which they marry. Therefore, part of our allotted inheritance would be taken away. When the Jubilee comes for the Israelites, their inheritance will be added to that of the tribe into which they marry, and their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of our ancestral tribe. So Moses commanded the Israelites at the word of the Lord. What the tribe of Joseph's descendants says is right. This is what the Lord has commanded concerning Zelophehad's daughters. They may marry anyone they like, provided they marry within a clan of their ancestral tribe. No inheritance belonging to the Israelites is to transfer from tribe to tribe because each of the Israelites is to retain the inheritance of his ancestral tribe. Any daughter who possesses an inheritance from an Israelite tribe must marry someone from the clan of her ancestral tribe so that each of the Israelites will possess the inheritance of his fathers. No inheritance is to transfer from one tribe to another because each of the Israelite tribes is to retain its inheritance, the daughter's of Zelophehad did as the Lord commanded Moses. Malah, Tertzah, Hagla, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, married cousins on their father's side. They married men from the clans of the descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained within the tribe of their father's clan. These are the commands and ordinances the Lord commanded the Israelites through Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Psalm chapter 80, verse 1. Listen, shepherd of Israel, who leads Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine on Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Rally your power and come to save us. Restore us, God. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. Lord God of armies, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You fed them the bread of tears and gave them a full measure of tears to drink. You put us at odds with our neighbors, our enemies, mock us. Restore us, God of Marmes. make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. You dug up a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared a place for it, it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shade and the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out sprouts towards the sea and shoots towards the river. Why have you broken down its wall so that all who pass by pick its fruit? Boars from the forest tear at it, and creatures of the field feed on it. Return, God of armies, look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine, the root your hand planted, the sun that you made strong for yourself. It was cut down and burned. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be with the man at your right hand, with the Son of Man you have made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God of armies. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. Amen. Isaiah chapter 28. Woe to the majestic crown of Ephraim's drunkards and to the fading flower of its beautiful splendor, which is on the summit above the rich valley. Woe to those overcome with wine. Look, the Lord has a strong and mighty one like a devastating hailstorm. Like a storm with strong flooding water, he will bring it across the land with his hand. The majestic crown of Ephraim's drunkards will be trampled underfoot. The fading flower of his beautiful splendor, which is on the summit above the rich valley, will be like a ripe fig before the summer harvest. Whoever sees it will swallow it while it is still in his hand. On that day the Lord of Armies will become a crown of beauty and a diadem of splendor to the remnant of his people, a spirit of justice to the one who sits in judgment and strength to those who repel attacks at the city gate. Even these stagger because of wine and stumble under the influence of beer. Priest and prophets stagger because of beer. They are confused by wine. They stumble because of beer. They are muddled in their visions. They stumble in their judgments. Indeed, all their tables are covered with vomit. There is no place without a stench. Who is he trying to teach? Who is he trying to instruct? Infants just weaned from milk? Babies removed from the breast? Law after law. Law after law. Line after line. Line after line. A little here, a little there. For he will speak to this people with stammering speech and in a foreign language. He had said to them, This is the place of rest. Let the weary rest. This is the place of repose. But they would not listen. The word of the Lord will come to them, law after law, law after law, line after line, line after line, a little here, a little there. So they go stumbling backward to be broken, trapped, and captured. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. For you said, We have made a covenant with death, and we have an agreement with Sheol. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, it will not touch us, because we have made falsehood our refuge, and have hidden behind treachery. Therefore the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, the one who believes will be unshakable. And I will make justice the measuring line, and righteousness the mason's level. Hail will sweep away the false refuge, and water will flood your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be dissolved, and your agreement with shale will not last. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, you will be trampled. Every time it passes through, it will carry you away. It will pass through every morning, every day, and every night. Only terror will cause you to understand the message. Indeed, The bed is too short to stretch out on, and its cover too small to wrap up in. For the Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perazim. He will rise in wrath as in the valley of Gibeon, to do his work, his unexpected work, and to perform his task, his unfamiliar task. So now do not scoff, or your shackles will become stronger. Indeed, I have heard from the Lord God of armies a decree of destruction for the whole land. Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. Does the plowman plow every day to plant seed? Does he continuously break up and cultivate the soil? When he has leveled its surface, does he not then scatter black cumin and sow cumin? He plants wheat and rows and barley in plots, with spelt as their border. His God teaches him order. He instructs him. Certainly black cumin is not threshed with a threshing board and a cart wheel is not rolled over the cumin, but black cumin is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Bread grain is crushed but is not threshed endlessly. Though the wheel of the farmer's cart rumbles, his horses do not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of Armies. He gives wondrous advice. He gives great wisdom. Yes, he does. May we, friends, walk in the wisdom of the Lord and... False teachers, stop listening now. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.